Now, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. We're not going to get to the real message probably for about a half an hour from now. Because the message this morning is about a challenge. We're going to get challenged. And I, I pray and I believe in God that you're, that you're mature enough to receive the challenge and to do something with it. Because what, what's the use of getting a challenge if you're not going to do any, anything with it? And honestly speaking, really, anytime the Word of God is presented, no matter what the format is, it requires a response. We've got to respond to it. Like, what are you going to do with what we just heard? I mean, we're responsible for the light that we receive from the Word of God. Amen? That's why when you're first born again, you know, you can get away with some things. You can get away with a lot. But then as you continue to grow in the things of God, it's like the road gets narrower and narrower and narrower. It's supposed to be that way. You should be able to get away with less the longer you're with the Lord. And do you understand what I'm saying? Get away with it. It's not like God's going, okay, one more time, I'm going to squash you. No, no. It's in here. The spirit of God on the inside will start to go, you shouldn't be involved in this. You shouldn't be thinking this way. You shouldn't be talking this way. You, you listening? Yes. Now, I assume you came here this morning because we want to grow together in the things of God. Amen? Amen. So you're going to give me some time to kind of lay the foundation for this thing? Yes. Okay, a few people on this side said yes. Over here. Amen. Are you going to give me some time? Yes. All right, good. Because we've got to move fast now. All right? All right. Matthew chapter 16. I may, I may paraphrase a lot of this, but let's just let's go. Let's jump in it. Matthew chapter 16. Okay, this is one of the most famous conversations recorded for us between Jesus and his disciples. Okay? Uh, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he said, the Holy Ghost doesn't put things in there for no reason at all. It's not like us when we did, you know, when you're in school and you had to do a term paper and you used 100 million words so you could stretch it out. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. When he talks about something, there's a reason for it. Now, it's very, very important that it's mentioned the region that Jesus is in right now. Caesarea Philippi was an area in ancient Israel that was occupied by people from all over the Roman Empire. In other words, many people had migrated to this area. And when they migrated to this area, they took all of their pagan philosophies and idols and all their mindsets. And Caesarea Philippi was known as an area where there were lots and lots of idols and shrines and all this other kind. So at, with the backdrop of all these different gods, Jesus asked this question, who do men say that I, the son of man? Now watch this now. If you picture this, he's standing the disciples and the backdrop is all these different idols. And he's saying, look, we're in an area here where a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about this God and that God and this shrine and that idol. But who do you say? Who do the people say that I am? Then eventually he's going to ask them, well, who do you say that I am? So let's go through this. What do men, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Good question, right? So they said, some of, them, some of the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, which he, they really, Jesus would have really located them because John the Baptist is dead. So they're saying they're entertaining a belief that's completely unscriptural. Because if John the Baptist is dead, then they're suggesting that Jesus is the reincarnation of John the Baptist, and we know that's not true. John, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Now, with Elijah, they could have had a chance because Elijah did not die. Elijah ascended into heaven alive. Others, Jeremiah, I don't know why they brought Jeremiah in, or one of the prophets. Okay, that's what people are saying. And then he says to them, but who do you say that I am? I know what the people are saying. We obviously know what the people of this region believe. But who do you say that I am? Now watch, this is cool. Simon Peter, now this is written after the fact, 
At that point, Simon Peter didn't know he was Simon Peter. He only knows himself as Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon. Okay, there's a reason I'm bringing that up. We'll talk about it in a minute. So Simon answered and said, you are the, the son of the living God. Okay, the anointed one, the one who carries the anointing, the one who carries the presence of God. You are basically what you're saying was, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the Christos. You are the one who is anointed. You carry the presence of God on you. But now Peter is something that was not popular in that day. In fact, this is the reason why they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. And if it would have stopped there, that would have been enough for the people in, in the first covenant. But Simon Peter answers and says, you are the son of the living God. The idea that the Messiah was the son of the living God was not a popular one back then. He's introducing revelation knowledge that their minds, when Peter said this, the disciples and anybody else that was standing there, they went, poof. That's what I meant to talk to you about this morning. There's only one group of people in that time when Jesus was on the earth that believed that the Messiah would be the son of the living God, and it's a small group of people called the Essenes, okay? And I heard somebody last night, I was listening to something, they said, well, this group of people uh, uh, completely disappears, mysteriously disappears. You don't hear from these people anymore once Jesus raises from the dead. Yeah, you want to know why? They all became Christians. They understood the times that they were in. They understood scriptures. They knew that the Messiah was coming in their day. And so they shut their whole community down and all became followers of Jesus Christ. This is important, okay? Background, important background. Because again, uh, all right, let's go to the next verse. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Obviously, Simon's father's name is Jonah, okay? For flesh and blood, in other words, you didn't get this in your intellect. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, so Simon, Shimon, receives major, major, mind-blowing revelation about who this man is that is standing in front of them. And that's important, okay? That's important. All right. So Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Keep going. And I also say to you, so in other words, this is one revelation. You see this? This is one revelation of who, who Shimon says that Jesus is. Revelation. Major revelation. Next, and I also say to you, and in addition to this, he's saying, you are Peter. You are, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. And I also say to you, you are Peter, a stone. But upon this boulder, rock of Gibraltar rock, I'm going to build my church. Amen. Not on Peter. How many, of you, how many of you former Catholics? How many of you current Catholics? I'm going to call the priest and tell him you're here this morning. What were we taught? That the church is built on, that Jesus said that the church would be built on Peter. No, that's not what he said. Okay. It's, it sounds nice, but that's not what he said. So, because Shimon, 
Now, you've heard me say this many times throughout the years. Shimon means a reed that shakes in the wind. You go down to Barnegat Bay, not too far from here, and you see those nice big reeds that are popping out of the water at the, at the edge. This, believe me, I lived there for many years. The slightest little breeze comes along, and one of those things goes like this. And that was Shimon's personality until he had the boldness, because that, listen to me, we, we look back, but if we were there that day when Shimon said, you are the Christ, the anointed, you are the Messiah, and then, comma, the son of the living God, I will guarantee you that everybody in the crowd went, what did he just say? Because the concept of the Messiah during that time was he's going to be a general, a military leader, a political leader. Somebody's going to come and kick the Romans' butt. They were not looking for somebody who was the manifestation of God himself on the earth. That's why you remember Jesus' trial. When they say to him, are you the son of the Most High? He said, I am. And the high priest did what? Ripped his clothing. He's like, this is complete blasphemy. Because they did not have that revelation. Okay? So are you getting this? This is why this is a big deal. Because Shimon went from to having a backbone to say, no, this is what I believe on the inside. This is what I believe on the inside. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Major stuff. Amen? But the key question here that starts this whole conversation is, who do men say that I, the son of man, he didn't say the son of God. That's a whole other thing. The son of man. Who do they say that I am? And they had all these different opinions. Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? And came to this revelation. The point I want to focus in on is this. Jesus is asking them the question, what are people saying? In other words, now now watch this now, because this is important to put it in context. This incident doesn't take place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It takes place almost at the end of Jesus' ministry. Because in verse 21, could you put that up there, please? Verse 21 of that same chapter, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. So it's only, it's only we, we stopped in verse 18. This is only three verses later. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. and so, Because he's in Caesarea Philippi now. He's got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. You catching this? This is towards the end of the ministry. And listen, I would imagine Jesus is going, what did he say? Now, he knows he's impacted major areas. Obviously, the Galilee has been completely impacted because that's where they spent most of their time. Okay, we know that Tyre and Sidon, which are in modern-day Lebanon today, we know that that area has gotten majorly impacted because he's got some major miracles that take place there. That's where the woman with the demon-possessed daughter Gets, deli- gets her delivered, okay? Tyrant side. Now, uh, in the book of Acts, if you follow that out, major stuff happens there also. But then we also know that in Samaria, okay, northern Israel, in Samaria, he impacted that region. Remember the story about the woman uh, uh, at the well, okay? We're going to actually talk about that. But here's the point. What were people saying about Jesus? And we know now. What were they saying? Well, they said this. When he teaches... He doesn't talk like the rest of the religious people. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 32. They were amazed at his teaching because he had, his words had authority. In other words, they went away saying, when this guy talks, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. It's not like the other religious people that are trying to convince themselves when they talk. Okay? So the people observed the difference between his teachings and the powerless stuff that the religious leaders were just going through the motions. What else were they saying? Well, when he healed... One person, John, it's recorded for us in John chapter 9, verse 32. This is what one person said. Since the world began, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of someone born blind. Born blind. So the people saw that he got results. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. When he ministered to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 28. Okay. You remember the story? If you don't, go read John chapter 4. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. Jesus is on his way. Uh, and has to pass through Samaria to get to where he's going. And he stops by a well in a place called Sychar, which is still there today. You can go visit it, okay? And he has a conversation with a, a woman who's by herself at 12 noon collecting water. And as soon as he walks up, he goes, something's not right with this picture. Because in the Middle East, you've got to be crazy to go out at 12 noon when the sun is blazing to carry these heavy clay pots of water from the well back into the village. And he knows something's up. Why is she not here early in the morning? Why is she not here late at night when it's cooler? Obviously, she doesn't want to come in contact with any of the other women in the village. And so when you don't want to come in contact with anybody else in the village, you go at 12 noon when everybody else is home in the shade. So Jesus, right off the bat, knows, eh, something's not right with this one, okay? All right, and so you know the story. So he has a conversation with her in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, again, what, is, what are they saying about Jesus? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Well, yeah, he is. He had just told her. If you read the story, he told her, I'm the Messiah. So what's she saying? She's going back into town, and it's, it's kind of cool if you read you know, through the lines there, in between the lines. She went and talked to the men in the town said, who has, she had relationships with. She went and talked to the men. And then all the men come out of, the, out of the town. They listen to him, and they say, well, we believe now, not because of your words, but because we heard him ourselves. So what are people saying about him? This is Messiah. Okay. All right, so you got that? So the question, what were people saying about him? We just went through. Now, what about the disciples? What were people saying about them? Well, when Peter and John raised up that crippled man at the gate of the temple there, as it's in Acts chapter 4, it caused the religious leaders to, to kind of like flip out a little bit. They didn't like the idea that now they thought they killed Jesus, got rid of him, and now they see that his followers are doing the same miracles that he did. Now we're like, what did we do here? We got rid of one, and then we got 12. And then on the day of Pentecost, they got 120. It's like, we thought we got rid of this, these guys, and here they are. So, so they arrest Peter and John, and they put them on trial. Now, this isn't a minor, like, municipal court trial. He, they get brought in front of the Supreme Court of the nation of Israel, the Sanhedrin, okay? They're being judged by the top rabbis and teachers and people of the, of the laws that study the law, they're being judged by these individuals. And Peter gets a chance to speak, and this is what he says. Again, what are we talking about? What did people say about, we know what they said about Jesus. What did they say about the disciples? And so Peter gets up and says, this, this, 
Then know this, verse 10, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I mean, that took nerve right there. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They all knew this guy. They knew this guy was crippled. They knew that for decades, this man has been sitting at this gate begging because he's crippled. His legs are all atrophied. He has no muscle tone, no nothing. And here he is. He's dancing and leaping in the temple courts. And they're like, how did this happen? Okay, this, this looks like the kind of stuff that Jesus used to do, all right? And so Jesus, verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And look then, verse 13, the question is, what were people saying about the disciples? Look at this. When they saw the... The courage of Peter and John. Now, that's important that it says that, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Because, you see, it's not that long before this that Peter's denying that he's even, he even knows Jesus. You getting this? It's not that long before this incident that Peter actually cursed a servant girl for accusing him of being one of Jesus' followers. I, never met, I don't know the guy. You don't know what you're talking about. I never met him. But now we see a different Peter here. This is on the other side of Pentecost, okay? And, we, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were what? Astonished. And look at this. Look at this. What were people saying about, about the disciples? And they took note that these men had, come on, say it, come on, say it, had been with who? Jesus. So what were people saying about the disciples? Man, they're not eloquent. They're rough. They, they come from the boondocks. They're just a bunch of rough rough fishermen. But man, you know these people have been with Jesus. Amen? You got that? Now, we switch over to Acts chapter 17. Am I going too fast? We're okay? We're good? Acts chapter 17, we have another incident. What's the question? What were people saying, not only about Jesus, what were people saying about the disciples? You following me? So, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Thessalonica in northern Greece, almost Macedonia. And the disciples there were so radical in walking out the gospel and their teachings and their miracles got attention, watch this now, from the religious people. Because you got to understand this, okay? Every place, for the most part, I would say 98% of the times, when Paul or some, some of the disciples under Paul any of these people that are in the New Testament, when they would go to a new region, a new village, a new city, the first place they would go to is the synagogue. Why? Because they're Jews. And they're going to where the Jews were. And in every major city in the Roman Empire and many little villages, you have Jews. Okay? They had immigrated they had, for whatever reason, they're, they're, they're involved in trade. So they have little colonies all over the Roman Empire. And so that's why Paul later on, when he writes to Romans, he says, uh, for, for the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. So, but they knew their responsibility was, no, the, the, this gospel has to be preached to them first. So they would go to the synagogues. So they would go there. Now, mind you, if you're sitting, and, and uh, I'm not, don't take offense at what I'm going to say. Don't go out here and say, Pastor Joe's anti-Semitic. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world. If anything, I'm way the other direction, okay? Okay, but watch this now. If you've been involved in a religion 
for generation after generation after generation and generation that's been dead and no results and no miracles and no presence from God. Because you got to understand something. From the end of what we call the Old Testament, the first covenant, the book of Malachi, from that point until John the Baptist shows up, 400 years without one prophet being raised up. 400 years. That's way more than the history of our, our country. That nobody has heard from God. They're going on fumes for 400 years. You listening? And now all of a sudden, this guy shows up in your synagogue and he's preaching what seems to be the truth. And not only that, they're working miracles like crazy here. And we're, we've been killing ourselves here trying to keep people coming to the synagogue. We're not seeing any results. So you can understand how they would get jealous, right? Well, but they let their jealousy get so crazy that they actually turn on Paul and turn on all the disciples that are there in Thessalonica. So we pick up in verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them. For three Saturdays. So that means how many, how many weeks? Three weeks. For three weeks, reasoned with them, went three separate Saturdays to reason with the people at the synagogue from the scriptures. You catching this? Next verse. Hold on to these words because it's going to be very important. Explaining and... Well, explaining, when you explain, you use words. When you demonstrate, it's what? Power. It's action. Explaining and demonstrating. We're getting someplace. We're almost at the message. Okay? (laughs) Explaining and demonstrating from the scriptures that the Christ had to suffer, the Messiah, the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Of course, Paul's going back to the Psalms. He's going back to the prophets. He's going back to even Moses' writings. And he's pulling on something. Come on, come on, look, it's right here. Our own scriptures tell us that the Messiah was going to come, he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he would raise again from the dead. And they couldn't argue with him because it's right there in black and white. Okay? But then to add to it, God, because Jesus said, when you go and preach this gospel, I'm going to back you up with signs and wonders and miracles that you're going to do in my name. So not only could they explain, but they could also demonstrate, all right? And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Messiah. Next verse. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people who heard the message, they believed, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Next verse. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar. In other words, they hired a bunch of troublemakers and they incited the whole town against the disciples. And since they can't find the disciples, they go to this guy's house named Jason, who is a believer, and they sought to bring out the people, but they weren't there. Next verse. But they did not find them. They dragged Jason out and some of the brethren, some other disciples, to the rulers of the city crying out. What's the question? What did people say about the disciples? Right? What did they say about them? These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What did they label them as? A bunch of troublemakers. What they should have said was, these who have turned the world right side up have come here too. You listening to me? Okay. So, they said, what did people say about about disciples? Peter and John? 
Man, these guys are like, they, they don't talk eloquently. You know, me, if you're not used to a North Jersey accent, you might lose some words once in a while. They don't, they don't talk like eloquent professors out of, out of a university. But you could tell that these people have been with Jesus. What did, the, what did they say about the disciples in Thessalonica in Greece? Oh, man, the troublemakers are here. The ones that are going to shake things up, the shakers and the movers, the ones that are going to threaten our position. You know, I'm going to get, uh, you know, I'm just getting ready to retire. The rabbi's probably saying, I'm just getting ready to retire, and these guys are going to come and make me lose my whole congregation here. I'm going to lose my 401k. I'm going to lose all this other stuff. You see what I'm saying? Explaining and demonstrating. Explaining and demonstrating. I don't have the time to go into this whole thing. Uh, if, you, if you can, go to YouTube, because I recorded this message last Friday so that people can watch it online for the weekend. And I go into much more detail. Explaining and demonstrating. This is what Paul does. Paul is a brainiac. Paul is like the Bible scholar of his time. In fact, if Jesus didn't appear to him on the, on the, the road to Damascus there, you remember that whole incident? Yes. If Jesus had not appeared to him, Saul, who, who he was before he was Paul, Saul of Tarsus would have been the head rabbi in Jerusalem, and all of the Jewish communities around us would have still be talking about Saul, the rabbi, to this day. But because Jesus intervened in his life and pulled him out of that, he becomes a major force for the early church. Okay, but he never stopped being a Jew. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So all of his intellect about what we call the Old Testament, all that he knew about the first covenant, he brings, and the guy's amazing. He's ridiculously intelligent. In fact, Peter writes in his letters that Paul's writings are difficult to comprehend because it's like this guy's a brainiac. He's like, you know, because, and if you study this, and I challenge you to, go read any of his letters. Ephesians, Colossians, what happens? He starts an idea in maybe chapter one, and then he goes off this tangent and that tangent and that tangent. And you probably, in chapter four then, you'll understand, oh, this is connected to chapter one. He's just amazingly intelligent, but he recognized, I can't, this gospel can't be about intellect and intelligence. I've got to explain, but I've got to also demonstrate. And that's why you see so many miracles. He's, he's in, I forget what, Lystra. He's in Lystra, and he's preaching for hours and hours and hours and hours. You guys would have went home a long time before that. And there's a guy sitting in the window who's starting to fall asleep, and he falls out of a third-story window. Now, Paul's teaching all this time, teaching. Three, four, five hours of teaching. And, and, and this guy falls out of the window, smashes to the pavement. Uh, Paul goes down and goes, no, don't panic, he's still alive. Prays over him, goes back to teaching till dawn. But what happened? He's explaining and then demonstrating. Because he's saying, if this Christ is who I say he is, then the power that's in his name should be released Amen. when we pray. Amen. Go, read some, go read some of the pioneers of the faith from about 100 years ago. Okay, one particular person can say this real quick because we're running out of time. T.L. Osborne. T.L. Osborne and his wife go to India in the early 40s. They're there for a couple of years. 
not one convert. Because all they did was go and try to teach, and they would go and, and, and say, can I have your Bible real quick? Give me something real quick. He would go and he'd say, I brought you the book that's going to explain God to you. And they go, we got our own book. We got lots of books. The Muslims had their books. The Hindus had their books. They said, what's the difference between your book and my book? And they came back to the United States, complete failures. And then they went to the Northwest, Washington, uh, Seattle, John G. Lake, someplace up there. Someplace up there. And they hook up with a man named John G. Lake who had tremendous anointing on his life. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which they had not received yet. Because Jesus, you remember Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive this. You're going to go out there and make trouble. Just stay here. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Well, they went back to India and had hundreds of thousands of people born again. Why? Because they explained and demonstrated. I remember, this. I remember actually hearing a person tell this story when I got to see him one time in Tulsa. And he said, uh, he was talking about when he went to a particular place in Africa. I don't remember if it was Kenya or Uganda. And there was a, it was a, he went to a small village. It was a tribe. The whole tribe was all under this one chief who actually is the imam, the Muslim. The whole, it was a, a Muslim village. And, um, and um, he says to the chief, I don't remember if he prayed for the, I think he prayed for the chief who was blind. He said, chief, if I pray for you in the name of Jesus and you receive your sight, will you tell the rest of the village? And he does. In fact, there was another time he told one person, one of the witch doctors, you pray in your God's name and I'll pray in my God's name and let's see who gets resolved. Well, the chief eyes get restored. Obviously, the blind eyes got opened. The entire village got baptized. He explained and... Come on, guys. He explained, and this Christianity is not just about talk. It's not just, if it's just about talk, we could be talking about anything this morning. And honestly, we'd have more profit if we just sat home and watched television. Because this Christianity is not about just words. It's not about just talk. It's demonstrations of power. Explaining and... Explaining and... Demonstrating and explaining. Well, if the early church had to do that. All right, so can we get the message now? <laughs> now, people's opinions about Jesus were based on what they heard and what they saw. People's opinions about the disciples were based on what they heard. Come on, guys. What they heard and what they saw. Can I ask you this question? Who do people say you are? Who do people say you are? What are they saying about you? Well, Pastor, I don't care what people think about me. That's not the point. It doesn't, just because you don't care doesn't mean people are not saying. What are people hearing and what are people seeing in our lives? What's our mission? What's our mandate? Same as the early church. Peter got a hold of it, and he wrote in his first letter to the church in chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a... Come on, guys. Let's read it nice and loud. I want to move quick. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. For what reason? Now read it nice and loud. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of what? Darkness. 
into his what? Marvelous light. That's our job. That's who we are. Are you listening to me? But let me ask you this question now. I'm not doing this to try to bring guilt and condemnation, but every once in a while, we got to get shaken up. Every once in a while, we got to look inward. Every once in a while, we got to be honest with ourselves. Every once in a while, we got to look in the mirror. Amen. Who do people say you are? Are people hearing and seeing the love and the compassion of Jesus in action? We have his love in us. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. You know, I'm not the type of person to show affection and things of that nature. It got nothing to do with your flesh. This is, this is supernatural love. If you're born again, you got the Holy Ghost living in you. Yes or no? Yes or no? I don't see enough hands. If you're born again, do you have the Holy Ghost in you? Yes. Now, who's the Holy Ghost? Is he not God? So when the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love, is that a different God than the Holy Ghost? So if the Holy Ghost came in you when you got born again, what did he bring with him? Love. And he says it's shed abroad. Not, not a teaspoon. Let me give you, well, let me give, let me give a little tea. No, he shed it abroad. In other words, all he is is in our hearts. We have the capacity to love. I'm not, I didn't say it's going to be easy. If it was easy, he wouldn't have to tell us six million times in the scriptures. It's not easy to love one another. It's not. But Jesus said, this is the main sign that people are going to know you belong to me. That you have love for who? One another. Are people hearing and seeing forgiveness through you? This is a major thing. Listen to me. Go study when Jesus taught about prayer. It's always connected to forgiveness. Every single time he talks about prayer, he, he teaches them how to pray, and he goes, wait a second. If you're not forgiving, don't even bother with this prayer. Are people seeing and hearing forgiveness from you? Or are you walking around still holding on to a grudge from 50 years ago? Now, if you come from my background, that's how we grew up. I don't, we don't talk to them. You get an invitation to the wedding, you're going to call up and say, who are you going to sit me with? Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Because, you know, I, I'm, don't put me at the table with so-and-so. Am I talking right? Are people hearing and seeing his purpose in our lives? Or are we just bouncing around like, like on a billiards table, just bouncing around, bouncing around? Is he seeing, are, are people seeing his purpose in your life. Because you and I have been created, actually recreated in Christ. We are his workmanship, custom-crafted masterpiece, so that we would do the good works that he preordained that you and I should walk in. In other words, you've got a specific plan for your life. You can't do mine, and I can't do yours. Now, what's nice is when, when he allows them to kind of interact together, because we get a lot more done. But are people seeing his purpose on your life? Or are you just wandering around like the Jews did for 40 years? Well, Pastor, I'm in one of those transition things. Okay, well, transition. Transition. Don't stay there, because you see, a lot of times what they're really saying is, I'm stuck. Well, I'm in that transition. Well, then transition. 
Because this is, this is life. This is life. You're either in the middle of something or you're either going into something or you're coming out of something. That's just life. It's always going to be that way. But what about his purpose? Or have you, have the, has the Lord spoken to you and you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off? Are people hearing and seeing your prayers being answered? You know, the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they saw him get results. You know? If, if you hang around with me and you come in the kitchen and I say, come on, I'm going to teach you how to cook, and I can't boil an egg, you're not going to ask me to write a cookbook. I mean, am I right? If, if I can't do something, I'm not getting results in what I'm doing. I'm not going to say, hey, come on, come on, I'll teach you. No, I'm te- don't teach me, please. But they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Because we see you get results. Are people hearing and seeing your prayers be answered? Yes, that's not a fair question. Oh, it's a very fair question. Because you see, faith is available to all of us to get our prayers answered. The word of God is available to all of us to get our prayers answered. The promises of God contained in the word of God are available to all of us to get our prayers answered. If a prayer's not getting answered, don't you dare say, well, God just didn't want it. No, no, no. It's never on his side. It's always on our side. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Are people hearing and seeing you turn the world right side up? Yes. Paul told the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become, you may become, you may become, that you may become, you may become. See, when it says you may become, that means you and I have to cooperate with this. There are other areas in the word of God where Jesus declares it as fact. When he said, my sheep hear my voice, he didn't say someday they hear my voice. He declared it as fact. Now, you either line up with that fact or do without it. But here, you and I have to cooperate because it says that you may become. In other words, you're going to develop this. So we have a part to play in this. Are you learning anything this morning? We got to turn to somebody. See, we got a part to play in this. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Where? In the midst of a what? Crooked. I mean, if he said this 2,000 years ago, could you imagine the language he'd use today? in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You're shining. You're either shining Jesus or you're shining yourself or you're shining the devil. Everybody shines. Every life is proclaiming something. You're either pulling people towards you or you're pushing people away from you. And it's inevitable that somebody's going to sit here and go, well, what does it matter what people say about me? I don't care. Ah, I only answer to God. Yeah, all right, good. Whoop-de-doo. It matters what people are saying about us. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Why? Because a reputation can buy you things that money can't. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. 
Our reputation doesn't only affect our own lives. You know, you may go through life thinking, I don't care what anybody thinks. But what about what people think about God because they know you're connected to him? You don't want to be the Christian that people talk about and go, born again? No, forget that. I know so-and-so. And if that's what it means to be born again, I don't want nothing to do with it. It matters what people say about us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus said this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. It didn't say it gives good light. It just says it gives light. But Jesus established as a fact, you are the light of the world. If they're going to walk out of darkness, you're going to have something to do with it. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they see your what? Good works. You got quiet on that one. That they see your what? Good works. And glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Listen, I'm going to wrap this up right here. Okay? Here's the bottom line truth. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's comfortable. It's not. But it is fact. God has placed you on a stage in the lives of individuals that he wants to draw to himself through your life. I, I, don't, I don't want that responsibility. It's not up to you. I don't want to be in that spotlight. That's not up to you. He puts you on stage. He puts us on display. What are people saying about you? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the soberness and the seriousness of this message, Father, would penetrate our hearts. Yes, you love us. Yes, Father, your grace is mighty towards us. We understand that. But Father, it doesn't excuse us of the responsibility that we have to live our lives in such a way, Father, that you can use it as a platform to attract the life of that one that's lost. Father, live big through us. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, make us aware of the areas in our lives and our souls, Father God, that we may be conducting ourselves in a wrongful way, that we may be pushing people away that we might not be showing the love and the compassion, God, that you have shed abroad in our hearts. Father, deal with us if we're walking in unforgiveness, Lord, and our hearts are becoming bitter and hard. Deal with us, Lord. Father, equip us to be able to explain and demonstrate your love, your power, your goodness, to a generation that's trapped in darkness right now, Father. Lord, you want to become those blameless, perfect, mature, seasoned individuals, Father God, that you can use, that you can demonstrate through, that you can speak through. Father, we submit ourselves to you today. We bless you. We love you. We're so grateful. Holy Spirit, continue to do the work in our lives that has begun today in this service.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen to me. If you need prayer for anything, I know the time has gone by, it's late, but if you need prayer for anything, especially, listen to me closely, please. Don't distract somebody that's around you. Especially if you're here today and you have never prayed a very simple prayer to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. Jump in. Declare your faith in him. Seal this issue about where you're going to spend eternity. He loves you. He's already paid for your sins. You've already been forgiven, but you have to take hold of it. So please don't leave this place today. If you're not sure that if you were to take your last breath, if you are not 100% sure that you'd be in the presence of God, please don't fool around with your eternal destination. You can come up here. Somebody will pray with you and pray for you. Amen. If you need prayer for anything else, we welcome you to come up.